With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, it's Dan, and this is our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and I discuss three Brown stories. Uh, we start with Kevin Stefanski and where he ranks in the PFF coach rankings. Then we talk a little Odell Beckham Jr., and then we get into Deshaun Watson and the 24th lawsuit that was filed against him on Monday. Now, as we're, we were recording... Uh, a piece from Jenny Vrentis posted uh, of the New York Times, and we discuss it a little, but it, it actually posted just as we were recording, so we were unable to really deep dive into that. Uh, but just so you know, any details in that story, uh, anything referenced in that story, uh, we were recording as that post, and we're kind of reading through it as we were going. So we mostly focused on the 24th lawsuit. So just a heads up when you get to that section of the podcast, which is in the second half. Uh, now, this is where I tell you about Football Insider, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day, access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and of course, you can become one of our text subscribers. All right, here we go. Our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Of course, the Browns having their final OTA practice today in Berea. We'll talk about that on our Thursday podcast. But today, uh, I wanted to get into some newsy kind of Browns-related topics that have been out there. Uh, There's three things that kind of stood out to me. And the first one is Kevin Stefanski-related. So Pro Football Focus put out their uh, coach rankings uh, as part of their, their kind of season preview deal. And... Uh, it's been getting a little pushback on uh, on social media, and I know the folks on Good Morning Football gave it a little pushback too. Uh, but I want to talk about where Kevin Stefanski is on the on this list. So they have him in tier three, average coaches, the next to last ranked average coach, just ahead of Arthur Smith. They have him ranked nineteenth uh, among NFL coaches. Scott, when you when you hear that, and we can certainly go over some of the other coaches on this list for comparison's sake. When you hear that, what, what's your first thought? Well, I did look through the rankings, and my first thought is I hate these rankings. <laughs> they really, uh, number one, ranking coaches is just, and I know we've done this on our podcast, but my goodness, um, good luck figuring out a universal way to figure this out. Uh, but they do go, you know, they include offensive and defensive rank, which I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you want to saddle an offensive coach with how the defense plays and vice versa. Um, I don't know. They, they did this last year too. And Stefanski was ranked seventh. So it's very much, what have you done for me lately? Unless you've been around for a decade or more, um, you know, 
I, I don't know. I, I do like, there are other rankings that, that maybe are a little kinder to Stefanski that talk more about like decision-making, like, did he make the right decision to go for it based on probabilities and stuff like that? And Stefanski always does very well on that. Um, but this is what PFF chose to do. And, you know, again, halfway through this coming season, you could be top 10 in their eyes based on how well the team plays and could have very little to do with him in the end. Yeah, Ashley, I almost wish Doug were on this podcast. Oh, my gosh. Doug would be having thoughts. But I even think he, if you were to look at these, yeah. would be like, Ninth? I mean, there's some folks. I'm just looking some at of these rankings are unhinged. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they have Cliff Kingsbury at four. When we drafted him, they have Sean McVay at 11. They have Mike Tomlin, I think, at 13. Like, some of these just don't really make sense. And, when, again, like, when you're evaluating coaches, there's a lot of different things you can use. Um, we did it on our own podcast where we drafted them and basically had all those guys in, in opposite positions. Like, I think Mike Tomlin and Sean McVay went in, like, our top five, if I'm remembering correctly. Kevin Stefanski was a little higher, like, somewhere around the middle. Um, but you look at, like, what they wrote for Stefanski where – the, the rationale for having him this low um, middling offensive results, which again, we've criticized Kevin Stefanski for, for some of the offensive play calling on this podcast. But again, you start to wonder how much of it had to do with injuries and things like that out of their control last year. Uh, and also the defense underperforming, you know, I think we talked about spent a lot of time last season talking about injuries and absences were a big part of that defense kind of slowly coming along and we're expecting them to be a lot better. So definitely think this is a little low for him, but some of these rankings are just all over the place. So it's, it's not just Kevin Spansky take them with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't have a problem with their, you know, their top three, uh, yeah. with Andy Reed, Cliff Kingsbury is a weird one. You know, Pete Carroll's always sort of a divisive figure, but he's a good coach. Matt LaFleur has been good. You know, a lot of these are fine. It's like Nick Sirianni and, and Brandon Staley. I feel like if we're going to talk about those guys, maybe that's where we should talk about Kevin. But instead of making this just a, a podcast arguing about rankings, I think the question I would ask you guys is, how ultimately are you going to judge Kevin Stefanski this season? Like, Scott, you mentioned it. How, you know, how much weight does the defensive performance you know, hold when it comes to Stefanski. I mean, that's Joe Wood's realm. He seems to generally stay out of it. You know, he's not one of these offensive coaches who it seems like he doesn't even know who any of his defensive players are. They'll talk about that stuff, but mm -hmm. that is Joe Wood's realm. So ultimately this season, how do you kind of judge Stefanski moving forward? Well, success obviously has a lot to do with it. I mean, look, I, I think it's well established that I think rankings are stupid, but everybody should listen to ones we do. I'm you know, outside of that, but if you're going to rank anything, coaches seem like a good thing to rank because they are kind of the umbrella of the whole team. Um, but how do you do that? How do you figure out what is successful for Kevin Stefanski? And I think obviously how the team does, um, but there's all like decision-making, like I talked about, and they're just dealing with things like he had drama to deal with last year. And I think for the most part, he did well. I think the key, like everybody has drama and everybody's going to have to deal with it. But Kevin Stefanski didn't make things worse, I don't think. Some people might have gotten upset by the fact that he would stick to the same talking points, similar to, to what he's done with Sean Watts. You know, we're working our way through it. Um, he said similar kind of things with, with Baker and the injury and, and Odell that week, stuff like that. So, But you're not making it worse. You're not adding to it like some of his right 
uh, the people who came before him, you know, Freddie Kitchens, uh, Hugh Jackson, all, often uh, made things worse. So that's part of it, but it's it's all rolled in. I don't know like what weighs more than, you know, the other stuff in that. I, I would guess maybe wins and losses at the top of your list, but it's all included in that. Um, at the end of the day, if you win a lot of games, you're going to be seen as a good coach. That's why Bill Belichick, John Harbaugh, you know, are at the top of this list. Um, they won a lot of games. Yeah, Ashley, I mean, how, how are you kind of judging Kevin this year? Just yeah. beyond just beyond even wins and losses. Yeah, I mean, I think the offense is a big part of it, kind of like for the reasons you said, right? Like Joe Woods does have a lot to do on the defense. And of course, like part of Kevin Stefanski's responsibility is the way he delegates and he's chosen to delegate this way. So it could be a little bit on him, I guess, if things go sideways. But really, the offense was just so abysmal last year towards the end of the year. And I just think, like, now is the time to prove he's going into his third year here. It's the third year for some of these guys in his system uh, and with this style. So I just think it's time for some results. And, you know, last year, again, we talked time and time again about the vertical plays and how are you going to manage, like, all these different pieces you have now um, obviously how many games Deshaun Watson plays is going to be a big part of it, but you know, that's why you went out and got a backup like Jacoby Brissett in theory, because they think that he can thrive in this offense when they need him to step up. If Deshaun Watson, uh, is suspended for any period of time. So I just think it's about how those pieces come together in year three, if this offense can be more explosive, because that's the way the NFL is going. And so much of the criticism last year, Doug's not here. So I'll say it, the five and six yard passes to tight ends 20 times a game or whatever. Like, are we going to see less of that? Uh, and that's going to be key for me. Just does this offense overall look more explosive? And I think that's going to be uh, a huge credit or, or an indictment on Kevin Stefanski either way. I, I wonder, I wonder how much their, uh, their process changed in deciding these rankings. Cause uh, I'm just looking at the top here of this year's and the mentions that, um, we will not be considering factors such as roster construction decisions or giving outside weight to factors such as passing rate or fourth down decisions. Whereas last season, again, where Kevin Stefanski ranked seventh after just one year as a head coach in the NFL, um, it did mention that uh, their ability to win games by multiple scores and fourth down decisions all factored into these rankings. So Perhaps things changed and maybe that kind of hurt Stefanski and, and just this type of ranking from PFF. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think decision making needs to be a, a factor in it. Like, you know, are, are you consistent when you go for it on fourth down, for example? And are you using data or are you just kind of, you know, shooting from the hip and, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to why you're doing it? I think Kevin has been really good at that. I think the other thing you hit on, Scott, and I don't know how you quantify this, just being a grown up. You know, mm -hmm. just like this team more than any organization or at least more than probably all but two or three organizations just needed a guy who was going to come in and not be Freddie Kitchens or Mike Pettin or whomever else and was just going to stabilize everything. And I, th there's no real way to quantify that, even in wins and losses or, or anything like that. And and even through all of this, like everything going on around Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson, which, which we're going to get to later, you know, a 24th suit filed the day there at the golf outing. Kevin doesn't make it more of a story. He doesn't pile on to the stories. I mean, Deshaun Watson is a big enough story on its own, but he doesn't pile on top of it by saying something stupid or saying something out of pocket. And, and I think that's really important specific to this 
to this organization. I, I mean, just, again, just go back and, and listen to Freddie Kitchens and, and just imagine how he would have handled this exact era of Browns football. Yeah. yeah. And I'm oh, sorry, and Andy Reid's third on this list. I mean, the Chiefs have had plenty of, of drama in recent years. So, but they've won, they've kept winning. And so it's not, people don't look at that the same way they look at Brown's drama at all. Yeah. And just with Kevin, I mean, I, I don't think this is an accident, right? Like I think he came in here with this goal. Like he doesn't want to be an extra distraction in any way. Like he wants the focus to be on the players. He doesn't want to become the story. Um, and I think you really do see that every day. And again, it sometimes the result is a lot of coach speak and non-answers. But when you're talking about what's good for a team and what's good inside the facility in Berea, like it's understandable that that is somebody they were looking for. And I'm sure it played a huge part in, in when they made the decision to hire him ultimately. And, and I, I mean, I think it's a big reason why like Mike Tomlin is high up on, on a list like this, you know, why, why John Harbaugh is, is high up on a list like this, why you, uh, I'm trying to actually find where Tomlin, Tomlin is 13th um, in our rankings. We had him like top five, but you know, part of that reason is like, he's a grown up, and Steelers fans will, if you fo- follow any Steelers fans on Twitter, they'll go crazy over some decisions Mike Tomlin makes. And we witnessed one in a playoff game when he decided not to go for it on fourth down when it was like, what are you doing here? But his ability to just lead that franchise and be the voice of that franchise, even though they haven't won a playoff game since 2015 or or whatever it is, it makes him a a great coach in that situation. So I just think these things are are really difficult. Uh, Okay. Let's move on to topic number two. And Mary Kay Cabot has joined us here for this topic. So we will have another voice on this one. And I wanted to bring this one up because it seems like it's gaining some momentum, uh, an answer to maybe where this player is going. And that's Odell Beckham Jr. So, um, you know, the, obviously Greg Newsome and Jeremiah Wusukormo talked about Odell Beckham Jr. on a podcast to call him a great teammate. If you've listened to our podcast, you already know this. We told you Odell was a great teammate. Uh, but Sean McVay, I, I saw right before we started recording, uh, a Rams reporter tweeted that he said that Odell going to his wedding, I think it was over the weekend, Odell going to his wedding over the weekend meant he had to re-sign with the Rams. So hey, maybe some things building up here for Odell Beckham Jr. Mary Kay, if Andrew Barry found out that Odell Beckham Jr. had an interest in coming back to Cleveland, is, is it a no-brainer? Should the Browns just do it? Well, no, I don't think it's that simple. First of all, um, I've been told, and I think I believe I've written this, that Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, would be interested in coming back to Cleveland. Um, but it's just a little bit more complicated than that because of the way things ended. I mean, it was so controversial. It was so sort of toxic that week. And, uh, you know, it, it was a big deal. And there are people in the organization uh, as we speak, that still feel like he quit on the team and did the team wrong. So those fences would have to be mended. Now, I'm not going to say that it's an absolute 100% deal breaker, uh, but that's a pretty big hurdle to cross. There are some, there are some folks that felt like uh, that, that he just did not handle that correctly. And I, I just don't think it's as easy as saying, hey, he wants to be back. Let's go ahead and do this. And plus, and then you've got the whole injury piece. Uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly when he'll be 100% healthy. But 
there are extenuating circumstances here. That was kind of the first thing that stood out to me is it's great that the players viewed him as a good teammate, but there's got to be some tough feelings in that front office, at least a little bit, and, and some tough feelings in that coaching staff, considering, you know, nobody else did what Odell did. Everybody else was kind of going through the same things, too. But, you know, Jarvis showed up and played, Nick Chubb, Kareem, you know, these guys still were out there and, and performed um, and did the best they could. And then when Odell leaves, it's kind of, he, he tries to shift this narrative to he kind of got screwed over. That's kind of a tough ask to be like, all right, just welcome him back with open arms. I mean, what do you think, Scott? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, some of his teammates might be ready, but is Kevin Stefanski ready? I mean, he I know the fingers were all pointed at Baker Mayfield in that video, but um, you have to think, Kevin, I mean, Kevin Stefanski was caught in the middle of that as well. And I'm sure he has thoughts on whether or not Baker was or Odell was as open as he, you know, as his father claimed that he was in that, in, in those videos or whoever made the videos. Um, so there's that. And I like just outside of the locker room, I think Mary Kay's right. That, that, that might not be the whole thing that you have to overcome here. There are other people that, that you'd have to, to win over. I, I don't know. I, that's a tough one. I, on the one hand, I, the Browns seem to be like open for anything <laughs> as far as who they're going to bring to this team. Uh, and on the other, I, I think you're right. Just the way it ended. If he had just left in free agency and was just out there and it was kind of a, a clowny situation, then it might be different, but I, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one to, to kind of overlook and say, all right, yeah, we'll just, we'll just move on. Pretend like that didn't happen. And as we like to reference, Ashley, that was your first week on the job. So, yeah. I mean, you got, you got that full vibe. Second week on the job, yes. you got that full Odell vibe. I, I mean, could could you see a reconciliation? It's really tough. And I mean, a big part of it too is like the the on the field stuff, right? Like when's he going to be ready to play again after tearing this ACL again? It's tough. So it's not like you would be signing him and he would be coming in and and immediately be another weapon in that receiver room for them to have. You would have to have some patience. And, and I don't really know at that point um, if, if it would be worth it for those people who still have those hard feelings necessarily. But again, you know, you talk about him time and time again, and, and we saw it in real time with these guys who were saying, you know, John Jackson, the third said they would welcome him back with open arms. Like he obviously was really, really beloved in that locker room by these guys for, for the kind of teammate that he was. But I, I just don't think it's realistic at this point. And, and like I said, the injury for me is a big part of it where it's kind of like, why, why would you be super eager to make that move if the opportunity was there anyways? I think he's a great teammate as long as you're not a quarterback. That's one thing right. we've learned about Odell over the course of his career. So, so Mary Kay, I guess um, the, the other part of this is, you know, Kevin Stefanski has said personalities are welcome. Although it's very interesting, most of the personalities right now appear to be on the defensive side of the football. <laughs> you know, Nick Chubb obviously is one of the faces they got and they get Amari Cooper, who's kind of the Nick Chubb of wide receivers. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is, is a pretty quiet guy. Um, when you bring in Odell, there is a little bit of a circus that comes with him, whether it's his fault or not. Some of it is, some of it isn't. There is a circus that comes with Odell. Do the Browns want to welcome that back? Well, you know, I just got the feeling, you know, when they when they said goodbye to Jarvis Landry, that they were willing to sort of shut the door on that period of the Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, kind of Baker Mayfield thing. So I think um, 
you know, I just don't know if they want to go back there again. Uh, again, a lot of water, water under the bridge, uh, but but he does bring uh, a fiery nature. He is very upbeat. He does bring a uh, an energy to practice. And I do think that on that side of the ball, they could use a little bit of that. Uh, but I, I just think that I could be wrong. It's my understanding that uh, as of about March, the Browns, even though Odell would have been open to coming back, they were not interested in bringing him back at that time. And I, like I said, I'm pretty sure that I wrote that in a, a Hey MK or a Browns insider or something like that. If it does change, uh, then it will be a dramatic de departure from what the vibe was in somewhere around March. Uh, because like I said, at this point, I just think that there are enough people that are not for it. But I mean, if you start to get, I mean, the, the one person who would need to be all for it would be Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson decided that he wanted Odell Beckham Jr., that would change the game. <laughs> but at this point, right? I mean, if, if he wanted him, then, then I think that, that their ears would perk up on that a little bit. But to this point, I really, I really haven't heard anything along those lines. And I, I just don't see it right now. But I suppose, you know, there, there could be, uh, you know, a paradigm shift at some point here. But I, I, I guess I'm not feeling it. Yeah, that's always an interesting line for a GM to have to walk is, you know, what he wants to do. And then when a player like Miles Garrett starts chiming in on, hey, I'd really like you to do this. You obviously want to keep your players happy. But uh, if, if you make a transaction and it doesn't work out or it ruins a season or something, uh, it's not Miles Garrett that is going to lose his job or, or anything like that. So that's always a, a tough line uh, for a GM to walk. But it would be very interesting if Sean Watson uh, if he's ever made available to us again, says, hey, I'd really love to have Odell Beckham Jr. on, on this football team. I think that's somebody that you would probably have to listen to at least a little bit. Um, he's he's got to have some pull in the organization. All right. Speaking of Deshaun Watson, we have to talk about uh, the legal side of it, and we are going to do that here after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And so here we go. We've reached one of those points where we've got to talk about the Deshaun Watson off the field stuff. He was at the Browns charity golf event uh, on Monday. And that was sort of a, you know, that weird disconnect, right? Deshaun's kind of there. He's the quarterback. He's the face of the team. But it's also kind of kept very low key. Um, and it was the day that the 24th lawsuit was filed. And the reason I want to talk a little bit about this one Um is because obviously there were some very disturbing details in it. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen those and want to see those, Mary Kay has a story at cleveland.com slash Browns. Uh, you, you can kind of see the details of that. We don't have to get into those here. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is uh, Rusty Harden in response seemed to indicate that they didn't know who the accuser was. And, and Mary Kay, correct me if I have any of this wrong, uh, but they didn't know who the accuser was. And it almost felt a little bit like, I don't know if it's fair to say this one took them by surprise, but they, they didn't know a lot about this one. 
So it feels a little different. And I'm not sure if that's just kind of seeing social media reaction to it or if it really is different. Does this one feel different, Mary Kay? Because this is kind of, this isn't the first one filed since he's been a Brown, but this was sort of the one that's like, even though we kind of knew it was coming, it was like, oh, th this is, this felt a little unexpected even from Deshaun's side. Well, the first part of that in terms of, you know, were they blindsided by this? This could be someone who had pondered filing a suit so that, you know, they, there was not a name to it, but there was a group of four or five that were kind of on the fence on whether or not they were going to file a civil suit. And I think there are still a few of those out there. Um, obviously, this is the second one in less than a week. Uh, but I don't think this is someone that they just uh, that just came out of the woodwork that nobody ever heard of before. I'm sure that Tony Busby and the, who is the plaintiff's attorney, I'm sure that this was someone that they have been you know, in contact with since back you know, when this allegedly happened in August of 2020. And she just hadn't gotten to the point where she was willing to file a suit yet. So this could be where Rusty Harden knew about, you know, some of these sort of Jane Doe type cases and did not know the person's name. So they haven't had a chance to research it. They haven't had a chance to, to look into allegations. Uh, once again, Rusty Harden denied uh, that, that Deshaun Watson has done anything inappropriate here. Um, so I guess it feels different from that standpoint that, um, you know, that it's, it's new to, to Browns fans. I mean, these two cases are the first ones since March and April of 2021. And so therefore it's been, you know, over a year and Browns fans and Browns media, like we weren't there for, you know, zero through 22. And so they are, hitting a little different right now, differently. Uh, so, and, and this one, I don't know, this one's from, from all the cases that I've read, this one did have, um, you know, some, some details in there that, you know, that, that would give you pause and, and make you think that, you know, these accusations were a little bit stronger than some of the other ones that we've read about or heard about, not all of them. Uh, but I would say this one's maybe like in the, if you rank them from whatever, I mean, this seems like it's in the top seven. I mean, in terms of like uh, what you're reading about in terms of details and what he supposedly allegedly did. So it also made me think that even though Rusty Harden has told me that the NFL is done talking to Deshaun Watson, this makes me think they're probably not going to be done talking to Deshaun Watson. If I'm the NFL, I want to go back and talk to him about these two cases, or at least this case, if you haven't talked to him about it. And I would want to talk to these two accusers or this accuser if you haven't done that yet. So I think it it opens up, um, you know, a little bit more investigation uh, into what's going on here. Scott or Ashley, does this give you pause as far as the Browns process? Um, that, that uh, again, uh, you know, most of what they did seems to have been focused on. We talked to the legal team. We looked at depositions. They obviously didn't talk to the accusers directly. It you know, was still an ongoing legal procedure for, for most of their process investigating. Um, does, does seeing another case like this come out, does it make you question their process at all? Or is it, does it change anything as far as you view that? Well, I guess like the biggest questions from, from all of this is, 
we haven't gotten a ton from them, right? Like they're choosing to keep a lot of this in-house and they're not providing the details. And I get that some of that is is a legal thing, right? Like, like you said, Dan, they didn't talk to the accusers because there were ongoing legal proceedings, they said, um, and they didn't want to interfere with that. But it does like make me, the, the biggest question that's been in my head is, do did they think that this was a possibility? Like, did they anticipate that more of these lawsuits we're going to come up. And that's just not an answer they're going to give us, I don't think, um, no matter how many different times and ways we ask. But that's where I do have pause. And you do wonder when you don't have the full picture for whatever reason of what internally they were doing as they were doing their homework on him before this trade happened. I, I really do just wonder, did they expect more of these potential suits and allegations to pop up? Or did they think that what they had at the time, like Mary Kay said, most of these happened last year. Did they think that was going to be it? I think that's the biggest question for me. I mean, they entered into this relationship with him knowing there were 22. And they also knew that he had used, what, 40 some massage therapists over his time with the Texans. So I think you have to be prepared for more to come to come out. It's like it's it's hard to tell people like that that something like that happened to you. It's going to take just because you weren't part of that first wave doesn't mean that there are, aren't more out there. And I think um, you know the HBO report could have something to do with making people feel safer about doing that. But you know it's not simply going and going and talking to a lawyer and saying this happened to me and, and sit back and that's it. It's you you know. It's hard enough to tell people you know. You have to tell the police. You have to tell investigators. You got to sit for depositions. You have to talk to investigators. Um, and then at some point, you could end up having to sit in court and tell a you know a room full of people about the worst day you've ever had. So, you know, it's going to take time for people to go through that process. And if it's you know if now we see more coming out just because of the HBO thing, that makes some sense. And I think if you're the Browns you couldn't be naive enough to think that it's just 22 that's it and that's all you're dealing with so mary Kay, you mentioned the nfl side of this and i guess one of the things if more of these suits get filed i mean and, and look a lot of this is is legal stuff and it, it's hard to say for sure you know my first thought was like okay here's a new suit there's new information here could we see another grand jury at some point? I mean, could could it even go down that road? And and like you mentioned, does the NFL have to sort of, I don't know, hit the brakes a little bit? If they were planning to announce a suspension at the end of June or, or early July, do, do they sort of have to hit the brakes on that now? Well, that's why I think it's important for them to keep the investigation open right now. There are too many new things that have cropped up in the last couple of weeks uh, for them to close it up and hand it over to Sue L. Robinson right now. You could make a mistake that way. Uh, so yeah, I do think that they've got to talk to uh, talk to these accusers. They need to talk to Deshaun again, I think. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I, I think there is a possibility that someone could decide uh, to go the criminal route again and try to file a criminal complaint. Um, now, because 10 criminal complaints have returned no bills or because they have not, he has not been indicted on any of the, the first 10 criminal complaints, the accusers, you know, and Tony Busby may have determined that that's not the route to go. 
especially in Harris County in Texas, where they feel like, you know, this pro they're probably not going to get anywhere that way. But, you know, if there's someone that is from another jurisdiction, another state or something, uh, I suppose there could possibly be uh, another grand jury convened. Uh, but right now it seems like uh, the civil suits are the way to go. And, uh, and the thing to remember on this is uh, Tony Busby, again, the plaintiff's attorney, is seizing the moment and he is not letting up. And he is now that he sees that, you know, Deshaun is with a team and, you know, you're it, it's going to pack a lot of wallop to to file a suit or to go on HBO. Uh, so he's taking advantage of that, especially when it's happening at uh, really crucial times like the beginning of OTAs or maybe, you know, maybe they'll wait and do something for the mandatory minicamp next week. But it just seems like he is strategically uh, using key moments and key times. Uh, to, to get the most out of the filings and whatever else he's choosing to do, like the HBO interviews. I mean, he's really got a strategy and, and it is hard to, to win anything in the court of public opinion on, on any of this. So they've got the momentum right now and, and it, it's not helping Deshaun's case at all, the way that things have transpired over the, the past couple of weeks. Um, and, and really he might not be able to have his real say until the cases go to trial and they might, that might never happen because with the way this is all going, I mean, they might just give up and say, this isn't worth it. Let's settle these cases. So don't know where it's going yet, but I, I think it might be a little premature for the NFL to, you know, to announce after, you know, mini camp or, you know, on June 1st, that it's a six game suspension when there still seems to be uh, things happening in the case. So I've, I've sort of let myself go down this road a little bit because I, I, you know, two weeks ago, I thought this would be crazy, but, and maybe I'm being a little prisoner of the moment. I'm not saying this is going to happen or that I would even predict it, but it feels, I guess this whole idea of like, a year or like a really extreme suspension NFL wise feels like it's more on the table. Am I, am I overreacting in, in thinking that does anyone hear that and think, no, that's completely insane. You know, it won't be more than like eight games. It just, I don't think it will happen, but it feels like, eh, maybe, maybe they would start there and it would be appealed down. I, it just feels more realistic for whatever reason. Maybe I have too much time to think. I don't think that uh, like 22 accusers, 24, that doesn't to me move the needle much as far as the seriousness of this whole situation. It's, it's, I mean, it's the same that what, what these last two accusers are saying is, you know, it's in the same ballpark here with everything else. It's, it's not as if, uh, I don't know, it's still a really serious situation. So, um, I don't know if that's changed my ideas of suspension. Look, the NFL could do whatever it wants. It could spend it for eight games and then somebody goes and, and files a criminal charge and he, you know, it goes to court and this whole thing gets worse. And then they just say, you know what, he's out for the year or he's indefinitely suspended. I mean, we saw Josh Gordon's uh, role or his, uh, you know, his situation changed multiple times while he was here. So I don't, I don't think there's any precedent they need to set here. It's just, 
eight sounds about maybe like you said where the starting point is and then it could go it could go less if he appeals it down and go more i don't i don't know if the nfl is really i mean if they don't have an idea right now after talking to everybody are they ever going to have an idea on, on what you know what's going to happen to him so but i, I think I, eight sounds like a good place to start i just wanted to say real quick as we're taping this podcast jenny Varentis, who was with si.com and covering this case very very closely and is now with the new york times uh has just released uh either one big sort of takeout or a series of stories and i'm I'm just looking at this on on twitter right now and uh and she's she's talking to a lot of the uh a lot of the women who have given massages to deshaun watson and this This tweet says Deshaun Watson received massages from at least 66 different women in a 17 month period. Some of these women speaking publicly for the first time described experiences that undercut his insistence. He was only seeking professional massage therapy. So that's one of the tweets. And then the other one uh, below that by her says a spa in a strip mall and the team he played for at the time played roles in enabling this series of massages and the regular dialogue Harden had with prosecutors before the grand jury demonstrates at the least the value of a well-paid and well-connected lawyer. So again, there's, there's more and more coming out. There's more to be determined. There's more to be investigated. Uh, and I'm sure there are some things in these Jenny Vrentis stories that will cause the NFL to, uh, to maybe perhaps want to go back and talk to some of these women if they haven't filed suits um, or to go back and talk to Deshaun again. So again, this is not going to be over until the suspension is behind him and until all of the suits are, are settled or have been played out in court. Yeah, this, like you said, this just posted as we're recording here. So, and, and she's done a lot of great work on this as well. She's talked to a, a number of, she's done a lot of uh, investigative work on, on this story. So if you haven't, um, actually, if you go to her Twitter profile at Jenny Vrentis, V-R-E-N-T-A-S, she has pinned at the top, um, kind of one of the key pieces of, of the reporting that's been done on all this back when he was with the Texans. So uh, make sure you check all that out. And yeah, I mean, this just sort of reinforces like the NFL can't without having read this yet the nfl can't afford to to take this lightly they can't there is a i mean i hate i hate to say it this way there is a pr element to all this and if all this stuff is out there it's going to be really hard for the nfl to just kind of shrug and say "Eh, four games Mm -hmm. all right (laughs) i don't i don't know that there's that much that there's that much more to mary Kay, go ahead i I was just going to say you know you're right i mean the more momentum they gain on that side of it, the harder it probably will be uh, for for the NFL and for independent disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson to, uh, you know, just to hand down a a short suspension. I mean, it's it just seems like, you know, it it could be taking on a little bit of a life of its own. And it's it's mushrooming somewhat here. And uh I, you know, I don't know if, if now is the time for them to make a decision. It almost seems like they, they need to just sit back a little bit and, and continue their review. Well, then the question becomes, when does the commissioner's exemplist come into play? I know he's talked about that before and not intending to use it, but 
if this is an ongoing thing and you still get more information and the headline of that of Jenny's story, by the way, how the Texans on a spa enabled Deshaun Watson's troubling behavior. Um, it's one of the things that one of the recent accusations uh, pointed out that there was a spa owner that seemed to understand what was going on. Um, so then it just becomes a bigger thing, you know, more people involved, more people that can get in trouble. Um, when does that exemplus come into play? Does he change his mind and, and decide to use that? 66 is a lot. I mean, for the for the numbers we've seen already, which we've already said, or at least I've already said, are, are concerning and other people have too. 66 is a lot. Like in, in the context of all this, to see another number that's like, whoa, that's mm-hmm. not great. Um, that I think that says something about all this. Okay, we will uh, we will wrap this discussion up there. The Browns and Deshaun Watson will be back on the practice field on Wednesday. Well, they've been on the practice field this week. We'll see them on Wednesday. Um, I would assume we are not going to be hearing from Deshaun Watson on Wednesday, but if we do or don't, we'll have a podcast coming your way um, recapping uh, OTA practice uh, that'll be in your feed on Thursday. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And of course, like I always tell you, become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns at the top of the page. Mary Kay, Scott, Ashley, I will talk to you all later.